is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode eight of This Week in Baseball featuring Diamond Digest. Longtime listeners, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for coming for not yet another weekly recap. And for new listeners, welcome to our podcast where we recap the latest news, analysis, and highlights from around the league. Hoping you catch up if you were only watching your favorite team this week. So happy you could join us. And I'm happy to be joined by three recurring members. Callie, Sai. Hello again, Callie. Ethan Fisher, and Matthew Penn. Three members who have been on before have provided great content, uh, great conversation, and looking forward to it again. But another packed rundown today. We're going to get through some of the usual. Um, We're going to run through the standings. A lot of teams have clinched since the last time we had a discussion on the podcast. Not a ton of COVID updates, but we'll get to one small one, and as well as some fun and interesting weekly debuts. We'll jump into the seventh inning stretch as the main part of our show and close with our storylines and what everybody on this podcast is watching this week. So without further ado, let's jump into it. If the season ended today, because with COVID, it always could. Here is how the standings would shape up. In the AL East, the Rays and the Yankees, who have both clinched playoff spots, would be the top two teams. Same news in the AL Central. Both of these teams have clinched, the White Sox and the Twins. The AL West, the A's have clinched a postseason spot, and the Astros are still fighting for one. And the wild card finishes up with the Indians and Blue Jays, both teams at least one game over 500, and both teams still very much in the hunt for one of the two top spots in their division. In the NL East, only two teams, in, or excuse me, in The NL in total, only two teams have clinched. But in the NL East, the Braves and the Marlins are the top two teams. In the Central, the Cubs and the Cardinals. In the NL West, both teams that have clinched postseason spots are from the NL West, the Dodgers and the Padres. And the wild card features the top spot, the Phillies. And the Reds and the Giants are tied. They are both 500. I'm sure there is some record break um, tiebreaker. I am not sure of the tiebreaker, but... It's division uh, record. It is division record? Yes. Okay. Um, but currently both 500 teams, um, it would go by division record at the end of the season if team, both teams remained above, or at the same record. So not a ton of movement from week to week. Certainly no movement at all in the American League with just seeing six out of the eight, uh, excuse me, five out of the eight spots being clinched. And in the NL, just two of the spots, but certainly at least five or six of those we can assume are clinched for now. And again, the AL being a much more locked up picture. But this next week will provide a lot of the fun for the AL in teams trying to figure out where they're going to be seated. The Rays hold just a three and a half game lead over the Yankees. The White Sox hold just a two game lead, assuming the Twins and the Cubs hold out with the score as is the twins are currently up four to nothing um, at the time of this recording. So assumedly the twins would only be two games behind the white Sox heading into the final week where the Sox play the Indians four times. The A's hold a comfortable lead over the 500 Astros um, on the NL side, not a lot of comfortability. The Cubs have a four game lead over St. Louis. Miami is trailing the Braves by just three games and the Padres uh, trailing Dodgers by just four. So not a ton of comfortability, but again, 
pretty good position to be in with just a week to go in the regular season. Can't believe we're already going to be talking about playoffs. Speaking of playoffs, heading into our COVID-19 update of touching base around the league, the good news is not a lot of actual COVID talk this week for the first time in, I think, our history of this podcast, which is excellent news. The postseason bubble since the last time we were on the podcast was confirmed. So two weeks before or two weeks before the playoffs, teams are starting their quarantines. Even if you are um, playing from home, you are quarantined and living in a hotel. Um, they're still working out how families are going to factor into the postseason bubble, but certainly not something we had talked about previously, though we will get into the postseason format a little bit. I know it's one of Callie's favorite topics. But that is something we hadn't talked about before. That is the confirmation of the postseason bubble. Um, I think it's for the best. And then obviously the AL teams will be playing in California and the NL teams will be playing in Texas with the World Series taking place at the new ballpark in Arlington. So nice little showing for the new ballpark. And finally, our weekly debuts, which I set this lineup, and Ethan told me we needed to talk about one of these players specifically, so I'll turn it over to him shortly. Just to name a few of the bigger names, um, certainly I didn't catch all of them, and certainly I didn't catch even the ones Ethan wanted to talk about, but Tanner Howick of the Red Sox, Garrett Crochet, this year's 11th overall draft pick, debuted for the White Sox and has pitched two innings now. Travis Blankenhorn, who I may or may not have put on here just because I love the name, he debuted for the Twins. Zach McKinstry debuted for the Dodgers. Former number one overall pick Mickey Moniak debuted for the Phillies. Scott Blewett, another name I might have put on here just because I love the name. He debuted for the Royals. And now I'm going to turn it over to Ethan to talk about Blake Sinderland, another debut that I had previously left off, but Ethan, you tell me fans need to know this name and you need to tell me why. Right. So this isn't nearly as um, high profile as when they called up Brian Hayes, but this is still something Pirates fans have been looking for for a long time. Blake Cedarland was a fifth round pick uh, 2016. He's a sinker slider guy. He's been averaging 99 miles per hour on his sinker in his uh, – a little bit of major league action so far. He was touching like 101, 102 on his sinker um, in spring training before uh, the COVID shutdown. And on his 100 plus mile an hour sinker, both his uh, horizontal and vertical movement are over 20% above average. So if he can uh, control that nasty pitch and keep it, at the speed that he throws it, he has all the makings of being a future closer. I think that's the fun part of rebuilds and um, rebuilding and coming up with prospect talent is names come out of nowhere. Mm. Could be a Blake Trinan type guy. Exactly. A guy who comes out of the bullpen, you Blake Trinan might be actually a great uh, comp Cali where yeah. he just has lights out stuff out of the pen. And I'm always team don't spend on big bullpen arms um, because you can usually find a way to harvest them out of your uh, prospect depth. So certainly could be an interesting Unless name there on the Pittsburgh. Nationals. What? Oh, uh, well, Matt. Unless you're the Nationals. Nats can never get those uh, 
bullpen prospects. Well, the thing is with the Nationals too, they're not overspending on those bullpen arms. Um, even That's if yeah. even as they haven't necessarily worked out, um, I don't think it's necessarily a situation where they're overspending on like a Craig Kimbrell type arm where it's fifteen right. million dollars a year. Nationals might sign guys to fifteen million dollar contracts, um, but certainly the more guys you can grab out of the prospect system is always preferable. As I say, that, that is the argument to be made that it's easier to build a, it's cheaper to build a very good bullpen than a very mm-hmm. good rotation. So there's oh, that argument. Absolutely, I think you're going to see a lot of. Uh, failed rotation arms that end up being lights out bullpen arms, or even if they're not lights out, they're just serviceable seventh, eighth inning guys that if you need someone to get you high leverage outs can certainly do so. Um, so Mariano Rivera was a converted star. Right. I mean, you've got, you've got plenty of stories um, of converted guys who just couldn't harness their um, stuff out of the rotation, found a way to do it in the bullpen. Um, one other name that, of course, I want to mention, uh, Garrett Crochet. I have watched a lot of White Sox baseball over the past couple of years. Um, couple, meaning a lot. They have been two of the most fun innings that I've watched just because the Sox have never had a guy like that before. Throws 101 um, oh, the on the left side. Exactly. Uh, the Sox still do hope that he is a rotation arm. Um, they certainly plan to make him one. I think this was just a short-term move that I actually love to see because... Sort of like how Jesus Lazardo and A.J. Puff were utilized last year by the A's. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's something where this is a short-term move because the Sox are in a playoff position that mm-hmm. 101 from the left side with a nasty slider is not something you want to see out of the pen um, yeah. heading into the playoffs. So. Interesting to Forgive see me how if you've heard this. Forgive me if you've heard this before because I know you're the resident White Sox guy. But uh, this reminds me, uh, Crochet reminds me a lot of David Price. I have not heard that comp before. He was the first overall pick in 2007. Rays called him up the next year, and he was pitching important innings out of the bullpen for them in September and in the playoffs. So it's, if they can get anything productive out yeah. of him, it can be very similar. David Price didn't touch uh, triple digits, though. Yeah. He was but, close back then. He was close. Right. I think it's just interesting to see that um, someone – who's just drafted like mm-hmm. three months ago is already um, ma- making some sort of contribution. Now, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. He's only pitched two very low leverage late inning games. The Sox had already completely lost, um, but his stuff looked good. And I, I think it will be interesting to see how he harnesses it over the course of the next couple weeks is, I mean, week actually, as we head into the playoffs and, start thinking about all the fun that comes with these short series. And certainly the playoffs will be something we talk about as we move into the seventh inning stretch portion. You know the drill. I ask seven questions. I award a point for each question based on my complete subjective belief of whose answer I like the best. It's not fair. I've never pretended it is. But Callie has clearly figured out the system as this is the third episode we're doing it, and Callie has won the both previous episodes so Callie I'm gonna let you as the returning winner go first on our first question Wander Franco was a name that came up a lot today first it seemed as if he was going to be added to the Rays 40 man or excuse me it looked as if he was going to be added to the Rays um, current roster and called up his 28 man roster right 
However, it was just reported that he's going to be added likely to their 40-man playoff roster. Either way, it's an interesting move for the Rays, um, whether it's adding him to the playoff roster or adding him to the 28-man. Certainly differing levels of it, shocking and interesting, but same either way. So my question is this. Do your best to explain the shocking move as best you can. What's the benefit for the Rays, and why would they do it now? Kelly, lead us off. I think it's quite simply a move to get another very good uh, depth piece for the Rays come playoff time because I don't see how they can justify replacing Willie Dames in the playoffs. He's put up 1.2 FR, a 123 WRC+. Plus. He was a hero last postseason. He, in the wild card game, he had, I think, had the his home run had the highest win probability added of any play in that game. I don't know how you can justify moving him, but I do think it's important for D- Diaz. I think Yanni Diaz, the other uh, yeah. postseason wildcard hero. Uh, I think it's important for Franco to get development, and since the Rays have clinched, I can see him taking some reps now that they they don't really have much to worry about. Matthew, what about you? Yeah, um, I guess at the end there, just getting that experience. They've already clinched, but you're still in a pennant chase. And getting these late season reps at a major league level is definitely going to help him further down the line. You know, might not be high leverage now. If it's on the playoff roster, well, in that case, I don't think he's actually going to be seeing much playing time in the yeah. playoffs just because the team they have now is so good because that's how they became that's how they won the AL East or they're in first place in the AL East you can't do that with a bad team so it's just an extra piece of depth if he's on that roster but that experience I think is going to go a long way and Ethan round us out here I agree that it's not a bad move I'm going to go on the opposite of what Callie said because Willie Adamas he looks okay on the surface he has a 349 weighted on base and a 125 WRC plus but he's greatly overperforming with those numbers. And if you took his expected batting average, his expected weight on base, and his expected slugging into a triple slash, he'd be in the 14th, 18th, and 23rd percentiles uh, for those numbers. And he's in the fourth percentile uh, with his whiff rate. And Adamas is at minus eight outs above average at shortstop. So I don't think it would be um, very bad at all for them to try to dip his toes in the water, see if he can hit major league pitching since they've already clinched. Ethan jumps out to an early lead. Nicely done there. I think it's an interesting situation. I don't know if they're actually going to end up adding them to the 28 man to start the, uh, for this next week. Um, I, I don't think it's a move a team like the Rays would make per se, because when you're not going to spend every year of control is crucial, as terrible as that sounds. Um, but I, I do like the idea of some sort of depth behind Adamus, who, as you said, Ethan, and what won you the point, greatly outperforming what he might be doing right now. Second question. I didn't put, a, I didn't put the timer on you guys for that one, but I think you're doing well. Dustin Verlander this week announced that he will undergo Tommy John surgery. Uh, he tried to rehab it throughout the season and felt something in his elbow during a um, side session this week. 
This will keep him out likely until 2022. Ethan, let's start with you. Have we seen the last of Justin Verlander? And where does he rank among some of the best starting pitchers of all time? And you have a minute starting now. So I understand Verlander wanting to come back and continue his career, but at the same time, his time off, he gets to stay at home with Kate Upton. That would be a swinging point for me. (laughs) But um, if he's motivated to come back, I mean, more power to him, but he'll be 39 in 2022 when he tries to come back. But um, based on his pedigree, if he wants a shot, somebody's going to give it to him. He's won two Cy Youngs. He's come in second place three times. He has a rookie of the year and MVP. He won a World Series and he's thrown two no-hitters. And um, if you look at his uh, baseball reference on his similar players, that includes Pedro Martinez, Roy Halladay, Catfish Hunter, who are both in the Hall of Fame. If you look at his uh, jaws, which is used to see um, a test of players' uh, Hall of Fame worthiness, he's at a 60.9, which is 0.7 shy of the average starting pitcher average hall of fame starting pitcher. So he's right on the cusp, I think of being a hall of famer. So if he wants to come back and continue his career, that may probably help his uh, hall of fame chances. Kelly, what you thinking? So my nightmares usually fall into two categories. Either I die or Justin Verlander is involved. (laughs) If Verlander retired today, nobody would be saying, ah, well, it's a shame he didn't get to do this, or he didn't do this. He's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, He's simply one of the greatest pitchers of this generation. I don't think there's anything you can criticize on on the field. I don't think there's anything you can criticize him for. He's really done it all, and he's 39. I don't think it's likely, but you know, I, I'm never going to doubt him. I've, I've learned from that mistake in the past plenty of times. <laughs> and Matthew, Ron is out here. Um, well, in terms of coming back, I think he's definitely going to try. Whether or not he's at the level he, is, he was before the injury, I'm not sure. But just given who he is, he's not going to go out without a fight. Um, in terms of all time where he ranks, uh, he's obviously one of the best pitchers to ever do it. Regular season speaks for itself. He's got rookie of the year, multiple Cy Youngs, MVP, all of that. The one thing you can hold against him is his World mm. Series performances. He got that ring in 2017. That whole thing on itself is its own discussion, but he does have the ring. But on his own, Owen 6 was a 5-6-8 ERA in seven games. And for someone who holds himself to a high standard, one of the all-time greats, that's not going to cut it. And he might you know, try to come back, try to prove everyone wrong one last time in the World Series. Those are three really good arguments. And I feel bad that I'm going to award two people points for reasons that weren't actually their argument. Kelly being her nightmares and Ethan talking about Kate Upton. <laughs> but I hope the fans appreciate the good discussion we just had there. That's and fair, I will fair. arbitrarily award points for absolutely no good reason. Question three, inning three. Sorry, Matthew, but I'll let you go first here. Ron Gardenhire surprisingly retired from managing the Tigers this past week on Saturday, uh, setting health concerns. Certainly wish him the best, obviously. 
However, who would you most like to see get the opportunity to manage the Tigers throughout a rebuild? It could be someone in the organization or someone around the league you feel is deserving of a managing position. I'm actually going to go to someone who's out of the league right now, but Buck Showalter would be my Interesting. Um, you know, he's had success with three different bringing three different teams to the playoffs. He rebuilt this Orioles team from uh, his first full year in 2011. They were 69 and 93, got them to the playoffs a couple different times. And if you take out that last year, which I don't really give to him fully, where uh, they were tanking a little bit, went 47 and 115. If you take that year out, he's 100 games over 500 in his managerial career. So he's definitely got the track record to bring them back to a competitive level in Detroit. Interesting. Ethan, you're on the clock. I think it was John Morosi who gave a bunch of different potential candidates. I'm going to highlight two of them, and they're both former Tigers players. One of them is Marcus Thames, who is the hitting coach for the Yankees, and he was a highly regarded player uh, when he played for the Tigers. He won a World Series with the Tigers. I think he's been on the Yankees staff for about five years now, so he definitely has the coaching experience. Another one is Don Kelly, who's currently the Pirates bench coach. It's his first year as the Pirates bench coach. He was on the coaching staff in Houston previously. He was um, called a potential future manager by Jim Leland when he played in Detroit under Jim Leland. So that's definitely high praise for sure. Um, a side note, the last Pirates bench coach who went on to be hired to be a manager was Jeff Bannister, who won a Manager of the Year award in Texas. But to answer the question, if the Tigers are looking for someone with winning experience, I'd go Thames. Um, if they want someone who's been um, at the front seat of a little bit of a struggle on the field, you go Don Kelly. I want to give a shout-out to legendary Lloyd McClendon, who's going to be holding down the fort the rest of the way. I've seen some uh, interesting takes on having McClendon currently running the, the uh, show, but – Poor Scott Bentley can deal with that on his own time. <laughs> Callie, you're on the clock. Give me some names here. It's a new era in Tigers baseball, so you need a new man to carry the torch. Batman needs to be Miguel Cabrera. He retires. Spencer Torkelson takes over at first base. Tigers go on to win the World Series. You're, you're talking right now. Yes, obviously. You know the hell with it. You're getting the point. <laughs> the bold prediction right there. I like the Buck, the Buck Show Walter one. The only reason I hesitate yeah, is because... see him bring in Jordan Zimmerman in the night. That's what I'm saying. Gregory Soto. The problem is that with Showalter, I fear he kind of regresses to... He, kind of what Gar, he represents a very similar vein to what Gardenhire does for me. Um, more of that old-school mentality that kind of holds... I don't want to say Gardenhire held the Tigers back. That's unfair to him. Um, but that's an interesting name, too. I think, I, I think they would probably call Showalter, if I'm being honest. I think a lot of teams would probably still call Show Walter if he's interested. Kelly, you're getting too good at this game. <laughs> Question four. Earlier this week, Josh Donaldson was thrown out after kicking dirt on home plate after hitting a home run. The context here being he didn't like a call earlier in the at bat and probably throughout the series against the White Sox. Right after arguing, he hit a very long home run to left field, had some choice words for the umpire, kicked dirt, and was promptly ejected from the game. So, simple question. Kelly, we'll start with you. Do you agree with the decision to throw him out of that game? You're on the clock. 
I do agree, honestly. Kicking dirt achieves nothing. It just it just distracts from the game, causes a delay as he has to brush off, and it just it's just a distraction overall. I do agree with uh, Donaldson's complaint that uh, umpires have no regulation. They have nobody to oversee them. They have no account accountability. I do think that's something that needs to be addressed, but you can't be throwing tantrums on the field. I, he has the right message. He had the wrong way of going about broadcasting that message. Matthew, you're on the clock. Yeah, um, I think he was right to get thrown out there. Um, again, I agree with him. It was a bad call. The umpires need some sort of, you know, somebody to watch over them, someone to tell them what they're doing right and wrong. But it can't be the players, and it can't be during the game. He almost had it right there, Donaldson, taking the next pitch, hitting a home run, you know, saying, <laughs> I had it, I'm better than you, look at me do my thing. I'll but don't lie. Kicking the, kicking the dirt right there, you know, kind of ruined the whole thing. He could have just had his moment, had his home run, sat in the dugout ahead. Ethan, on the clock. I 100% agree with the decision to throw him out of the game. I thought it was a, a really uh, unprofessional and childish display by Josh Donaldson. And he, as a, a longtime uh, veteran in Major League Baseball, he should know better than to try to show up an umpire and get himself thrown out of an important game because every game is important for the Twins who are in the middle of a playoff race. And Donaldson has a reputation of being a crybaby on the field. He's been ejected four previous times for arguing balls and strikes. And he's you know, tried to pick fights with the numerous players before, including Joe Musgrove last year, whose jersey I'm wearing right now. I cannot remember the last time I was more angry watching a baseball game than when he got Joe Musgrove thrown out of a game last year for something he that something that Musgrove didn't deserve to be tossed for. So I've had a bone to pick with Josh Donaldson for a long time. I'm glad he got thrown out of the game. I'm giving Ethan a point for the uh, very fond memories and Matthew one, because you're absolutely right. He almost had it right, Matthew, where he hit the home run on the next pitch and he should have just let it be the end of it. I think it's such a different thing than like when people say, oh, everyone loves bat flips and all that. It's so much different. It's not the same it, thing. It's not player on player. It's player on umpire. And, and, and that's the difference for me. People say, oh, if Tim Anderson would have done it, you'd be acting different. No, I wouldn't. No. It, it, it's, between, it's between player and player, not between player and umpire. Once you did that, completely different story. Question number five, factor fiction. Shane Bieber and Trevor Bauer are the front runners for League Cy Young. Matthew, let's start with you. You're on the clock. I'm going to go fact and fiction on this one. Shane Bieber, front runner of the AL. Uh, Trevor Bauer, not in the NL. Shane Bieber has been by far the best pitcher in the AL this year. Look at his 2.9 war, next mo uh, F war, next most in the American League. Dylan Bundy with two. Uh, got the best fit by far in the AL. Uh, left on base percentage at 92.1%, second best across the majors, and all that he's been elite of their 8-1 record. I know pitching wins and losses isn't big, but he is helping the team win. Mm -hmm. So that in the NL, there are a whole bunch of names I would put ahead of Bauer at this point. Uh, Corbin Burns, Jacob deGrom, uh, you Darvish had a rough start tonight, I think. I'm not exactly sure what his stats were, but 
before tonight, he would be up there too. All of them have much better numbers, in my opinion, than Trevor Bauer this year. Right at the minute mark, nicely done. Kelly, what you got? I can name you five people who I think are more deserving than Bauer. It's you, Darvish, Corbin Burns, Jacob deGrom, Luis Castillo, Castillo, and Devin Williams. In fact, I would say Devin Williams has a much, much stronger case than Bauer. Bauer has a 3.12 FIP, I believe. Devin Williams has a sub-1 FIP, 8-point-something. No, not 8-point-something, 0.8-something. Plus, in a shortened season, the discrepancy between starters and relievers inning count is a lot less in the shortened season with bullpens being used more and more. The value of a good reliever has increased exponentially. I think that Devin Williams deserves that. I think Devin Williams deserves the votes more than Bauer does. And NL Scion going to a relief pitcher. That's a fascinating argument. Ethan, what you got? I'm going to go double fact. I agree with Matthew that nobody is on the same planet as Shane Bieber right now in the American League. He's, it seems like he ran away with the award a long time ago. I'm going to stick with Bauer in the National League, even though he plays for the Reds and I despise the Reds. <laughs> He's really fun to watch pitch. And like everybody else mentioned, there's a lot of a lot more competition in the National League. Darvish was my boy until he got roughed up today. DeGrom's up there. Corbin Burns I have also. I also have Denelson Lamette, who would be making a good case just about any other year. So there's definitely a lot more competition. Bauer has um, – he's scheduled one more start against Milwaukee next week. So if he has a good outing there against Milwaukee, that definitely gives him a good shot. Kelly's going to get the point here for making an argument for a relief pitcher to get signed. I think it's a really good argument. First reliever to win Cy Young since Dennis Eckersley did in 1990. I think that needs to change. I mean, Williams is fantastic. I think if he's not going to garner support for a Cy Young this year, I think he could legitimately be another reliever to win Cy Young, I think. I, I don't think I've seen this sort of just pure dominance from a reliever. Like, when you go up there, just how uncomfortable hitters look in at-bats. And, and I think he's going to, even if it's not this year or next year, he's going yeah, to make a strong case for, even if he doesn't win one, garnering a plenty of votes. So that's a really good argument. I like that one a lot. Kelly, this seems to be your uh, area to um, w- win some uh, votes here. So last week you predicted one of the two Player of the Week Award winners with Alec Mills. The other one being Jamer Candelario of the Detroit Tigers. Those two players, one player of the week honors. Who are your front runners to win the honors this week? And with a tie game between Kelly and Ethan, this might be the point that determines it a week later. So choose wisely. We'll start with Matthew. Um, for the NL, we go Cole Calhoun. Led the National League slugging this week. Produced almost a full F4 and coming into today uh, was 10 of 21 with six homers. OPS of almost 2000 or 2.0 was at 1.881, which is, even for a short sample size, pretty legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the AL, you know, DJ LeMayu, uh, who coming into today was 11 of 23, 
four homers, slugging over a thousand, and also produced 0.9 F4 on the week. And he's coming at that Tim Anderson batting title. I know you guys don't care about batting titles, but I do. <laughs> Callie, give me your play of the week, week front runners. It's got to be with the man with the largest biceps in baseball, Cole Calhoun. Six home runs in six games, that's almost impossible to beat. Uh, in the AL, I have Salvador Perez. He's a catcher, and he had a 1.734 OPS. That's insane, especially since he's playing in the cavernous Kauffman Stadium. I feel like we're going to maybe get a sweep on the NL and something different on the AL, but Ethan, what you got? I actually have the same exact answer as Callie. I have Cole Calhoun in the National League. He led the Major League's six home runs, 12 RBIs, 1381 slugging this week. And as uh, Matthew pointed out, he had a .9 F war this week. That was his war for the entire season going into the week. So he doubled his war for the season this past week. American League, I also went Salvador Perez. He hit 563, 588 on base, which is just nuts. And also of note, he stole a base this week. It was his fifth career stolen base, <laughs> despite his 12th percentile sprint speed. So I think he deserves the award uh, for, for stealing a base if, for no other reason than that. Well, now that you guys have the same answer, the point can't be retroactively given to just one of you. So that means this final question is going to determine, even if Matthew wins with LeMahieu. LeMahieu had a great argument this week. I think he's probably, he might be the other one that I'd put there. So Matthew might be able to win the point. We'll see here. We'll go into the final question. It's the one I'm worried about because Kelly hates the expanded playoffs. But we're going to see what this is. Thankfully, I put a minute timer on you guys. The expanded playoffs have been discussed as a long-term solution heading into 2021 in some format. There's been discussion over 14 teams, 16 teams, what have you, similar playoff structure, dissimilar playoff structure. A lot of talk around expanded playoffs either way. So assuming that becomes the new norm, which I think is a fair assumption at this point, in one minute, (laughs) build your ideal playoff format and support it. Callie, I know you're chomping at the bit here. I'm just going to let you go first. If you've seen my Twitter, you know what my ideal format is. So it's the division winners and the three teams that were behind them. So you take the two worst team, the two teams that qualified that have the worst record. They play in a one game playoff. You take the winner of that game and then take the next wild card team. You have them play in a one game playoff and then you have the regular playoffs. This incorporates a little bit of both. Interesting. It incorporates a buy and it incorporates a longer road to make the playoffs if you don't win your division. Because with the new format, you don't, there's no reward to winning your division. There's no reason to try and go for the division to try and increase your odds of winning the world, of getting through the World Series. Because in a, because if you just make the playoffs, you have a multi-game series you play. The wild card format is enough of a dissuasion to try and make teams want to win their division and the desire to avoid that back-to-back wild card format will will make teams want to buy even if they are not really in the best position to win their division but still in a playoff spot interesting very interesting ethan you're next you got a minute all right so john Heyman actually 
made a proposal that I liked a lot. He said, if there was a World Series for coronavirus preparedness, the Pirates would be in it. So I like the idea of the Pirates having a World Series spot clinched in the middle of March. But for if you want a real answer, since I should probably do that, um, I think 16 teams is too many. I would probably put it down to 12, I think is an okay number. Um, the Pirates have been burned enough by a one-game wild card that I don't want that to be a thing anymore. I'm okay with the current format of having the three-game wild card series and then having the division series and the championship series and the World Series. But I think that 16 teams is too many. I think three division winners and then three wild cards in each league is a good enough format. I'm going to have a hard team time giving someone a win today. Dang you forgot it. about Matthew. I know, but but I, but I, one of you two has to win at the same time. Matthew's down three three to one. He can't win. Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> Give it to me. Even though the A's have been burned by the, by, the, by the one game wild card, I'm not afraid of it. I want to hear your argument here, Matthew. I, I think you're going to come up with a good one. I have faith here. Well, you're on the clock. Well. <laughs> you want expanded playoffs? I'll give you expanded playoffs. Uh, oh. You got your division winners, right? You got okay. each league, one, two, three, rank them. The other four teams in each division, two plays five, three plays four, one game. Winners play again, one game. Okay? Oh, now geez. you're down to six teams. You're down to six teams. Uh, number three in the league plays number six, already up one nothing in a three-game series. Number four and five play in a three-game series. Now you're down to four teams. You have your NLDS, ALDS, and then continue as normal. So hold on. You're proposing every team in some form every makes the Every playoffs. team gets at least one game. But that- winning the division is such a big uh, advantage here. You don't have to play these five other games or whatever. That You're is already ahead. And that is so absolutely outrageous that you deserve a point for it. The idea that a team that loses a hundred something games could somehow find a way to be in the World Series is just so crazy. It deserves the point there. Also, just Callie and Ethan, I couldn't pick a winner between you two. All right. <laughs> you both made fascinating arguments, both sides. Matthew, you also made plenty of fascinating arguments. This was your first time on with um, the new format, the seventh inning stretch format. So these two had an unfair advantage yeah. for, in front of you. knowing I protest this. Exactly. <laughs> knowing how to uh, win my very subjective point system. But. Let the fans on Twitter decide who won this week. You know what? Let's do that. Let's fans do that. Folks. We're going to start that from now on. The fans are going to decide, since I clearly have issues deciding how to uh, uh, award points. But, Kelly, I think you're, um, in terms of putting other uh, expanded playoffs, I think 12 teams probably makes the most sense. Um, I like the division winners, and then it incentivizes the division winners. I think the idea of home field advantage was supposed to incentivize being a division winner. I don't think it has as much as, especially in COVID times, as yeah, much as not at home. Yeah, as much especially as especially with the removal of the DH. Right. Uh, I think there's a lot that 
in, in your in probably in baseball's head, it kind of made sense to say, oh yeah, these are advantages for X, Y, and Z reason to want to win the division and get all three games played at home. But I I think the general argument is it hasn't been enough of an advantage. Um, so. I don't even. I I think someone should have to do the research into home field and the effect on home field advantage. Yeah. In baseball. I think I, the neutral site games will give some good data for that. This right. Playoffs. I think even if it is just a mental thing for players, um, I, I don't know if there will ever be any hard factual data on players or teams. Home field advantage is a real thing. I think it might just be a mental thing for players, a mental hurt, an extra mental hurdle that you can't um, objectify. Yeah. Um, Was it so, last year's World Series when the road team won every game? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that, and I guess maybe it's just your old school type mentality. Like that doesn't make sense in my head. Um, but maybe as much as we want to put analytics on everything, right? Sometimes and, you just can't. Right, like that. That doesn't make sense to me. Like having the home team behind or the home fans behind you should be hyped up, and that should. I mean, that again, that's just a very. I I feel like there's still a world in which home field advantages. But then again, will advantage players but, get fired up by quieting that crowd? Yeah. At the same time, you can argue it that way. It, it depends on the type of player you are, too. How, how you rise to the occasion and stuff like that. And Again, these are all terms you can't quantify. And, and this is where it starts to become, okay, any analysis on home field advantage, yes, we want to look at everything from an analytical lens, but these players probably treat it a certain way. I know if you've played baseball before, or you've played any sport before, honestly, being, ha- having that crowd behind you is something that makes that that changes players good good or bad one way or another um it's just a fascinating argument but i don't think one will be able to quantify but that was my favorite seventh inning stretch segment yet so nicely done everybody let's head into our final two segments we'll start with the storylines from around the league if you're new to the podcast this is where we talk about you know if there's one thing that each of our analysts on the podcast wants to talk about and wants people to know from the week, it's going to be this. And Callie, every week it's J.B. Wendelkin. <laughs> but this week it's going to be J.B. Wendelkin again, and I'll let you go first. So probably a bad idea to talk about him uh, after he gave up the Grand Slam today or yesterday as of when you hear this. But uh, Wendelkin has the best fighter in baseball. It has a .076 Wilba. He has 10 strikeouts off of it compared to only giving up two singles, two hits in total. It's the third lowest weighted on base average for sliders in baseball and the sixth lowest will before a pitch in general. You know, I make fun of Callie a lot about JB Wendelkin and sometimes rightfully so, but then I do things like pick up Wendelkin in both of my dynasty fantasy leagues. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you're making convincing arguments at the end of the day, but I'm, so I'm going to still make fun of it. The sinker. But at the end of the day, I will never love a player or somebody likely as much as Kelly loves Davey Wendelkin. And I think that's okay. Yeah. Matthew, you want to talk about some playoff droughts being broken. So go for it. Yep. And, you know, it's probably well known at this point anytime team clinches the playoffs, but I still think it's worth mentioning here where you know, the Padres clinched, I think it was today or last night, um, mm-hmm. uh, first time since 2006, White Sox first time since 2008, Marlins are really close, first time since 2003, 
uh, Phillies, Reds have both been a while. They're close, could make it. And I really think it's a good thing for baseball. As much as we were talking about the postseason earlier and the formats and all that, getting different teams into the playoffs is definitely going to help. It's going to help keep the fans involved from those teams. It's going to help drive revenue, I think, for the sport as a whole, getting these these fans that might not care as much about the playoffs otherwise to see their teams buy their uh, apparel and stuff and get, you know, interested in the sport for the rest of their lives. And having teams miss out for you know, the Marlins 18 years in a row, yeah. not good for them. So, I think it's interesting as something to watch long-term is, you know, obviously just expanding the playoffs isn't going to fix blackout restrictions that need to be fixed or marketing right. issues that baseball has. But I think being able to keep fans interested longer through the season is going to be a net positive. Um, and at the same time, like, I don't think we'd like a scenario where the best teams always end up in the playoffs. I think if we saw a Yankees-Dodgers World Series every year or a Dodgers-Astros World Series every year, kind of like basketball has at times, especially, I mean, think back to the Warriors-Cavs days, where that was three straight championships in a row. Like, I think that for much as much as it's maybe frustrating for one of the top teams to not make the World Series every year, Fans enjoy those weird playoff years where a team you would never expect to be there ends up there, like Cardinals in 06 or 2011, where those teams you would argue are probably less deserving um, of winning the World Series because they just weren't as good in the regular season. But I think having those types of years where you, you can still say anything can happen, I think, I think that's helpful for teams, for players, for fans. I, I don't want to see – I'd love to see a White Sox-Padres World Series. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't argue that those are necessarily the two best teams in baseball right there. Um, but that's just my perspective. Those are just two – and you can do any two teams that haven't been in the World Series in a while. Um, and it would be a similar argument. Ethan, you want to talk about Shane Bieber again? Let's do it. So the last time I was here on the pod – um, at this point in the show, I talked about you, Darvish, and how I thought he would win the Cy Young, and I jinxed it. So now I'm going to talk about <laughs> Shane Bieber and his how I really think he has a chance to win American League MVP. The last pitcher to win MVP was Clayton Kershaw in 2014. Justin Verlander won it in 2011, but the last one before that was Dennis Eckersley in the early 90s. Yeah. So <laughs> if you want to compare Bieber this year to Kershaw, the year that he won MVP 2014, if you want to look at a win-loss record, which I think is stupid, but voters eat that up. So uh, just whatever they want to do. <laughs> That's what this is about. Bieber is 8-1. and one. Bieber's eight and one, which is an 889 win percentage. Kershaw went 21-3, and three, which is 875. ERA, they're really close. Bieber, 174. Kershaw, 177. Uh, Whip, they both exactly the same at .857, which is a really odd coincidence. Uh, FIP, Kershaw actually had the edge at 181. Bieber at 214. But ERA plus, Bieber, 263. Kershaw, 197. Strikeout rate, Bieber, 40.6%. Kershaw, 31.9%. 
So that's not even close. And that's just insane for a starting pitcher to strike people out at the rate Bieber does. And wins above replacement, Kershaw had 7.7. Bieber right now is at an even three, but uh, prorated over 162-game season. That's a 9.2. So that's not particularly close either. And Bieber, um, obviously, he's the ace of the staff in Cleveland. And I think the fact that they traded Mike Clevenger when they were in a playoff spot, I think that's a testament to their faith in Bieber to be the leader of a staff that is a bunch of young guys. And then Carlos Carrasco, who isn't what he used to be. And Bieber has one more start against the White Sox this week, which is a a tough, a really tough task. And if they give him another start uh, in the regular season, it will be at the end of the season against the Pirates, who on the other hand are notably not good at hitting baseballs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they already just got shut out by Bieber once already this year. It was not my favorite game to watch. (laughs) And with, um, Nobody else in the American League making an extremely compelling case. Abreu and Anderson are both playing really well. Mike Trout's always in the conversation, but his defense has been pretty bad this year. And I think Callie last week, I think he talked about Nelson Cruz being in the conversation. So there are other names. Bieber isn't running away with it right now, but I think he really has a shot. And a pitcher winning MVP is always noteworthy. That's am all I fine and dandy. Who, oh, go on. Am I the only one who pronounces it FIP? Yeah, for some reason, I that's the one I've never. I've always gone FIP. It's not. You don't say ERA. You say ERA. I know. That's why I say it's weird that that's like the only. Well, Woba. I don't think anyone says WOBA. I don't know why we choose to do it the way you we say do. WRC plus. And then what else? Is it? OPS plus. You say WIP too. You say slugging. You say whip. What's the reasoning? OPS. Um, <laughs> it's the way baseball people are. Who knows? This is a completely different philosophical argument that we're going to have to get into <laughs> one day. Why do we say the acronyms the way we do? Because it makes no sense. There's no consistency. Um, but for Ethan, that's all fine and dandy. But I'm hoping for <clears throat> one of those famous Ethan Fisher curses. <laughs> uh, Bauer or not Bauer Bieber pitches against the uh, White Sox, and I think it's Tuesday. But pretty home run game for Eli. Calling it now. That would be fantastic. I'm hoping for like a 15-10 complete thriller or something like that. You something you would not expect. Darvish's first start after I talked about it, it was the first inning he gave up three runs, so it was right <laughs> off the bat. So I'm hoping for more of that. Nothing against Bieber, who is fantastic to watch, but I'm a White Sox fan at the end of the day, and that is what it is. But we're rounding third, heading for home here. Let's close the storybook, turn on the TV, and tell everybody what we're all watching this week, what we're all watching for specifically. Ethan, we'll keep it going. I'll start with you. Uh, What you watching this week in baseball? The last week of baseball before the playoffs. The Hashtag tank for Kumar is alive and well in Pittsburgh. <laughs> After their loss today, they are currently at 15 and 38, which is the worst record in Major League Baseball. And the last two games that we've had to suffer through is evidence enough that the tank is alive. On Saturday, Mitch Keller pitched 
six no-hit innings against the Cardinals. They pulled him after six. He left with a 4 nothing lead. The bullpen immediately gave up five runs. 5-4 was the final score. And then on Sunday, Joe Musgrove outdueled Jack Flaherty. He went six scoreless innings. He struck out a career-high 11 batters. Left with a one nothing lead. Bullpen came in to start the seventh. Single home run right off the bat. 2-1 was the final score. So, yeah, the Pirates are earning their um, reputation as the worst team in baseball. At this moment, they have a four-game lead over the Rangers for that uh, coveted spot. The Pirates finished the season playing the Cubs and Indians, who are both really good teams. The Rangers get the Diamondbacks and Astros, and the Diamondbacks are the third worst team by record. So the Pirates are doing okay with one of those teams having to lose. So, yeah, the tank is alive. And I still have no idea what's going to happen regarding the uh, the draft lottery. Yeah. I'm actually a little bit nervous about that. But <laughs> at this moment, it's looking pretty good. Watch imagine, the Tigers get, like, uh, get yeah, imagine, magic luck. Yeah, imagine watching a 15-win season and, like, surprise, you don't You get the get seventh it. pick. <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be the I, worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. There has not been... I don't think any conversation around it, which is interesting. It almost makes me feel like they're just going to handle it the way it is. Jeff Passan has to know something. He knows everything. (laughs) I mean, maybe just no information, I guess, is good in this case for Pirates fans. Didn't they say it was going to be a combination of this year and last year's record? Which, I mean, still for the Pirates, that's... Yeah, they they lost 93 games last year, so even if that's the case, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. If you're finding yourself in the top two, three picks, you're in a good spot here. It's not Kumar if you're not the top pick, but... Al Leiter. Jack, yeah, not Al Leiter, Jack Leiter. Well, maybe Al Leiter might be a bad second <laughs> pick, but Jack Leiter might not be. Al Leiter at this point in his career might not be the ideal second pick. But, Callie, what you're Probably watching this Probably be a better catcher than Justin Brulander at this moment in time. Well, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to watch a World Series matchup or World Series preview. Hopefully, the oh. A's versus the Dodgers. Interesting. I thought you were going to say, like, Ace Padres or something. I'm like, yeah. I, I don't think they're playing this week. <laughs> In your ideal world of watching an A's Padres World Series, who are you rooting for? Um, I think it's obviously the A's. Okay. I've only really started following the Padres uh, last year. Just checking. Just mm-hmm. checking, seeing where you are on the uh, fence of that. And Matthew, round us out here. Bring us home. What are you watching this week? Um, obviously, with last week in baseball, just all the playoff races, but specifically out in the AL West, the second spot, uh, Houston's got the lead right now. I think it's four games after the win today, which with a week left, that's a good lead, but they've got a three-game series with the team right behind them, the Mariners. The Mariners turn around, maybe sweep that series. All of a sudden, it's down to one game as we get to the last weekend of the year. Could be some exciting baseball uh, as we head down the last stretch. I did not realize, and I double-checked just to be sure, not that I didn't trust you, but my own surprise at it, the fact that Seattle's only four games behind Houston. Yeah. Um, So that's actually a really interesting series there where – 
if you're looking for some late season uh, drama, you might get it there, which is very interesting. Wouldn't that be one of the most gratifying ways a season can end? The Mariners overtaking the Astros, yes. the big bad Astros. At this point, the public enemy number one getting overtaken probably would be well received by the major mm-hmm. league. Uh, Major League fans, but A's Dodgers would be actually a very fascinating World Series. Um, yeah, no one would rematch of uh, '88. Yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting one because 1990 know. was the year they lost the Reds. There's a lot of interesting potential for interesting World Series this year. Um, just lining up how some of the teams are stacked up and where they might be placed and who they might play. There's a lot of Intrigue for interesting World Series this year. Oh, gosh. Imagine if we get a Mariners-Padres World Series. Sure. I, if we get... That'd be great. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what we're going to get. I, I don't yeah, know how straightforward it's going to be. Yeah. I don't know how straightforward it's going to end up being. I mean, at the end of the day, it might be something like Yankees-Dodgers, and we're all like, oh, we speculated for nothing. Hey, we could see uh, Clint Frazier win a World Series. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. But still, that's a story for the no- another day and another podcast, which we will gladly bring you as we get close to the playoffs. We figure out over this next week who's in, who's out, where everyone stands. And I know next week around this time we're going to be talking all playoffs all the time, maybe a little bit of award races, but we're going to have a lot of postseason talk for you next week, which I'm very excited for. But for now... That's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening as always. Make sure to find us on Twitter at diamond underscore digest. Follow us there as well as at our um, website, diamond-digest.com. Callie, Matthew, Ethan, and all our wonderful writers doing all their great work as we end the regular season and gear for the postseason. We'll bring you plenty of coverage at all of our outlets and hopefully you continue to follow along. Thanks for listening. For Kelly Sai, Ethan Fisher, and Matthew Penn, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Have a great week, and we'll talk postseason baseball with you next week. Talk to you soon.